Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Super Bowl quarterback and New England Patriots Hall of Famer, Drew Bledsoe. Ask him to go in there with all they've got. Win just one for the Kipper. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today on the show, we welcome a four-time Pro Bowler. He was the number one draft pick overall in the 1993 NFL Draft, and he's a member of the New England Patriots Hall of Fame. Got inducted in 2011. Drew Bledsoe. Drew, thanks for coming on the show. Boone, what's up, man? You know, we... uh... It's funny, man. You know, we're getting older, man. It used to seem like 1993 wasn't that long ago, and it turns out, holy shit, it's a long time ago, man. Uh, it's unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, man, fun to, fun to jump on and, uh, and chat with you. And the thing is, it's like, I still think I'm a kid. Then I'm, then I'm going, and I'm going, Drew's younger than me. <laughs> All of a sudden, people are older you know, than me. I mean, younger than me that I'm You know where it really just has slapped me in the face recently? You know, if you're like signing up for something on your phone or whatever, and you just got to gotta put your birth date in, you know, for me, that's usually, you know, buying some wine. But uh, and all of a sudden, I have to scroll down really far to get to my birth year. It's like it's like, you know, used to be it seemed like uh you know it wasn't that long ago but now i gotta scroll a long ways down through those uh years to get to my birth year yeah and your kids look at you like you're you know you lived in the flintstone era it's unbelievable that's <laughs> crazy right it's crazy all, all good, right though. we're still uh we're still going so i guess we win that equation right we're, we're doing all right all right i want to talk about the draft one one overall. Yeah. Recently on the recently on the podcast, I had Phil Nevin on. He was a one one. Chipper's a one one. But that's different. It's baseball's just different. You can't replace the NFL draft. You see MLB trying to spice it up in two thousand twenty one, but it's just not the same. Um, I remember my draft. You know, I was a fifth round pick, and I get the phone call from my scout, and he said, "You know, Booney, uh, I got some good news and bad news. Good news is we got you, Seattle Mariners. Bad news is you're not going to like where you pick." I said, "Oh, did I drop down to the you know second or third round?" He said, "No, fifth round. You know, I'm 21 years old, and I'm just no. How dare you?" And my dad's sitting there laughing, going, "Hey, kid, life ain't fair. Just sign the contract and see if you can play." And it worked out <laughs> in the long run. But I have a feeling your day was a little different than mine. Uh, I want to hear about that day. You know, so here's the deal, right? So I grew up, I grew up in this little small town, Walla Walla, Washington. And, and my parents were both school teachers. Uh, so, you know, we had a, I mean, it was a great life, but it wasn't, uh, but it wasn't a ton of money, right? So we didn't fly any place on vacation. So the first time that my family ever went on an, someplace on an airplane together was to fly to New York City for the NFL draft. And, uh, you know, so we landed, it was me and my mom and my dad and my brother. And, uh, and we landed late and we were out walking around, you know, in downtown New York City. And this was back when New York City wasn't nearly as safe as it is now, you know, it's kind of back in the, back in the old days where, you know, you can get mugged and stuff. And we're walking around, it looked like the Waltons go to New York, you know, it's just like these country bumpkins, uh, land in New York City out walking around in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, we survived. Uh, I think I was the last, uh, the last, maybe the only uh, first overall draft pick to get drafted and not wear a suit. And there was a simple reason that I wasn't wearing like a suit and tie, and that's because I didn't own one. 
you know, I was, I was, I just turned 21. Um, you know, I just had never had an occasion to put on a suit and tie. So I didn't even have one at that point, which was kind of funny. So I'm up there in some jeans and a shirt and some, you know, my, one of my first pairs of free Nikes, which at that point was the coolest deal ever. Um, and, uh, the funniest part of the whole thing to me though, looking back was, you know, when we, it, it actually happened really quickly. We we're kind of in the green room back behind the stage and, you know, tag debut comes out and says, all right, with the, uh, this is with the first overall pick 1992 draft that New England Patriots select Drew Bledsoe to Washington state university. And all of a sudden I look around and my dad's like trying to get the video camera off of his hand. And my mom is looking around like she doesn't even know what's going on. And my brother's over like trying to get autographs. So I turned and I ended up hugging my agent was the first person I hugged after I got drafted. I hugged Lee Steinberg, uh, you know, just cause the rest of my family was just com- completely and utterly lost. Um, but it was a cool moment. I mean, you know, come on, it's, uh, you know, you, uh, you grow up in a little small town, throw the football around a little bit. And, and uh, next thing you know, you're, you're 21 and you're up on that, uh, up on that stage being picked first overall. It was, uh, it was a cool time, man. It really was. So you didn't, you had, you, you had to have an idea. So you didn't know for sure you were being one, one right up until the time. Well, so here's the deal. It was Bill Parcells, right? And he had just come back out of retirement, uh, in his, uh, after, you know, he left the, the Giants because he had, you know, heart trouble. And then he had just come back. So it was his first year with the Patriots. And he was just not going to let anybody know. So that year it was me and Rick Meyer, our, our buddy, our buddy Rick. Uh, One, two. One, were the two. top two. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, uh, so Rick and I were going to be the top two no matter what, right? Because both the top two teams need a quarterback. So it was the, uh, uh, the Patriots and the Seahawks, both teams needed quarterbacks. So we knew we were going to be the top two, but Parcells would not, would not show his cards. We didn't know if I was going to be one or if Rick was going to be one. And, you know, to be honest with you, man, I was a Northwest boy. I kind of wanted to be a Seahawk. You know, I kind of wanted to stay close to home. Um, but uh, then that, so we didn't know for sure until it was announced, um, you know, that I was going to, that I was going to be the, 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 the first guy uh, off the board. Um, you know, I think we kind of figured, but, um, you know, because obviously that's way better than Rick. I hope Rick listens to this someday. Um, um, so it was obvious to anybody that was way, way better than Rick, uh, <laughs> which is a joke. But, um, uh, but yeah, I kind of felt like I was going to be the one. And then, uh, and then from there, I was off to Boston. It was, just a, it was just kind of a whirlwind, man. You know, they throw you into this media storm. And back then, you know, now these guys, I think they have a little more training. Back then, you know, you're kind of just trying to figure it out as you went. And so I'm thankful I didn't screw it up too much. And there was no Twitter back then. So I don't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. I'm going to get into it as, as we go on in the show. But just the, the subtle differences between baseball and football, where it's football, it's right to prime time. Baseball, you know, we get drafted. Even if you're 1-1, you're going to the minor leagues. You're fighting for peanut butter and jelly. We got, we got Bledsoe driving around a limo in, in uh, New England. So there is a, l- a little bit of a difference in the end. If everything goes well, it's all the same, but th- the starts are quite different. And, and the first contrast I want to make, explain to me and the, and the audience out there listening to the Boone podcast, what is the big deal in football, especially with a quarterback? It's not too often. When you go 1-1, obviously you're expected to maybe step in a little quicker. But the general rule in the NFL, is, especially for a quarterback, is they're going to groom you for that starting role. So most quarterbacks, as you know, go into a backup role to start, learn the system. 
I just want to know what is what's so tough about it. What's the learning curve like, and and kind of what's the difference between playing SC and then Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there there are a few things. Now, first of all, you know when you when you go um, first overall, you know by definition you're going to a pretty shitty team, right? You know they like they earned the right to pick first by by being awful the year before. And and so you've got you know that that you're that you're up against, and that's why I think there there are times when they'll try to you know sit some guys at least for a little bit just because they know the team's not very good, and you don't want to get your ass knocked off in your first start. Um, but then um, but then beyond that, you know it's it's a little bit of everything, you know, Boone. It's like yeah, you know you got to first of all you're you know for me you know installed as like a figurehead of a, of a of an organization, even though I'm just a kid. You know I'm the one that's supposed to be out there talking. Um, you know, so you're kind of a politician on, on you know, at, at a certain level, um, you know, then you've got uh, a different offense that's generally, um, quite a bit more complex, at least terminology wise than what you deal with coming out of college, you know, and then you go, uh, and then you got to go, you know, in a leadership position, you know, you got to step into the huddle with a bunch of grown ass men, you know, who like, I'm 21, man, I step in the huddle and I'm like, these guys have kids and, you know, investment portfolios and like all this stuff. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I'm, so then you got to step in there and, and find a way to be a leader of these, of these grown men when you're just a kid. Uh, and then on top of all that, you, you gotta, you gotta go play well and, and do the right things on the field. So it's a combination of all of that that makes it hard at the quarterback position where, you know, if you play a different position, you know, you can kind of just play football uh, but the quarterback position, you've got to manage a lot of different stuff. And I think that's why it makes it, it, it makes it a bigger jump, uh, for a lot of guys, um, you know, and, and makes it more difficult. And when you talk about, you know, what's different, you know, facing, you know, USC, um, or even I'll take it a step further, different than playing like Oregon State. Cause you go play SC. When I played SC, I had to play against Willie McGinnis. And uh, then we were teammates for a bunch of years, and Willie was a certified bad dude when he was in college, man. That guy, uh, that was not very fun. So, um, But the problem when you get to the NFL is everybody's Willie McGinnis. You know, it's like everybody was the best player uh, on their team, uh, one of the best players in their conference. Um, and so as a quarterback, all that means is that your timing has to be better, your accuracy has to be better, uh, the windows you're throwing into are smaller and they open and close a lot quicker. Um, you know, so if you're, if you're, you know, if your timing's not perfect, uh, then your accuracy doesn't matter. And if your timing is perfect and your accuracy is a little bit off, uh, the other team gets the ball. And, and so you just, you, you're, um, you know, your level of precision, you know, has to be so much better. I, I would imagine it's probably a little bit like uh, maybe the jump from trying to hit like, uh, you know, you know, minor league pitching versus, uh, you know, stepping in and trying to hit Pedro. You know, it's like all of a sudden it's a whole different game in terms of um, what you have to do to try to be effective um, when you make that jump to the top level. Yeah, I think you're, you're right on, on that. I, I think it's the it's just the, the, the speed of the game. You know, and I've worked with a lot of minor league guys. <clears throat> I worked for Oakland a couple of years in the minor league system and strictly worked with minor league guys. You know, and let's just say at the double A level, we'll be playing a team. Ah, oh, man, that guy's really good out there. 
you know, and, and you got young kids and they got questions, you know, like, Hey Brett, what's it like? You know, what do you do in this situation? And I really, I really enjoyed it, but it's just the speed of the game. I say, see that guy, there's nine of those guys now. And in the minor leagues, you hit a ball in the hole, it's short and you beat it out by a step when the big leagues now, now you're out. That's the big difference between the minor leagues and, you know, going to football, it makes a lot of sense. Those, those gaps aren't quite as big. I got to be a little more precise with my pass because this guy's a little faster than that guy from Oregon State. So, you know, it makes perfect sense. All right, switching gears a little bit. What was Drew Bledsoe like as a kid? I know your dad coached you in high school. Uh, did you play other yeah. sports? And I want to hear all about Walla Walla. <laughs> well, so uh, actually, uh, if somebody saw a picture of me as like a seventh or eighth grader, and uh, somebody said, uh, um, "Hey, that 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 dude um, is going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft," and play for 14 years as a quarterback, it, it, they would have looked at you like you had a third arm growing out of your head. You know, I was I was I grew pretty early. I was pretty tall when I was young. Had big feet. Was really skinny. Just, you know, kind of big knees, and I just was pretty awkward, man, you know, growing up. And I, you know, I mean, I was, I was always a decent athlete, but, you know, but was certainly, you know, even in middle school, you know, you go out to, you know, the, you know, seventh or eighth grade, I wasn't, I wasn't the guy that stood out out there. Um, other than the fact that maybe I was a little bit taller than some of the guys, but there were guys in the seventh and eighth grade that were far better football players than I was at that time. Um, and, um, you know, and I did a little bit of everything, you know, I played basketball, uh, played baseball for a while, um, until they wanted me to give up my whole summer. I wasn't going to give up my whole summer. Um, I was a swimmer when I was young and I was actually probably more physically, you know, cut out to be a swimmer, big, big arms or, or excuse me, big, uh, feet, big hands and, and, uh, was super skinny. So just kind of like a spear going through the water. Um, I actually wrestled in the sixth grade, which you can imagine what that looked like. It was not pretty. Um, you know, so I was involved in a little bit of everything. I was always a skier. I've been a skier my whole life. Um, so, you know, early on, man, it was, you know, I dreamed about, you know, playing football. That was my favorite of the sports. But, you know, it certainly was not very realistic when I was young that um, I was ever even going to play college football, you know, let alone, you know, make the jump. Uh, you know, all the way to the NFL. It wasn't really until I was maybe like a sophomore in high school where I stopped growing and started to figure out where my body parts were. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden the ball started coming off my hand pretty good. And um, that's when all of a sudden it became, um, you know, a little bit more realistic that maybe this football thing would work out for me. Um, thankfully I stopped growing when I was uh, like 15 and, uh, Otherwise, you know, if I kept going, I was, you know, I would have been, I would have had to play basketball if I kept growing at the pace that I was growing. I would have been a seven footer when I was a junior in high school, and that would not have been very fun. I, you know, never been a special basketball player, and always kind of wanted, but there aren't that many seven foot quarterbacks out there. Uh, so, but Walla Walla was a cool place to grow up, uh, Ben. It was, uh, it's just, it's, you know, it's even then, and or even now, it's it's like going back in time. You know, it's. A little wheat farming town in southeastern Washington, out in the middle of the wheat fields. And, um, you know, it's the kind of place where, you know, I tell people, I, I I know that we had a key to our house. I'm positive that we did. I just never knew where it was. We would take off and go on vacation and not lock our house. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those places. And 
Um, and uh, so, it was, yeah, it was a cool place to grow up. And thankfully, now it's wine country, which is uh, way cooler than just being a wheat farming town. So you you sign your letter. You're going to Washington State. Was it always Washington State? What what other uh, colleges you consider? Well, so you can imagine. You know, now these kids coming out, and I'm sure it's the same in baseball. You know, you, you know, you you can just go look online. You know, you can go, um, and so. You know, now it's far easier, even if you're in a small town, you know, you, you post your videos to huddle and, you know, college coaches can go look at them. You know, for me, being kind of isolated out in the woods, we, we actually had to go spend, the, it took a long time to put together like a three-minute highlight video. Um, you know, you're dubbing from VHS to VHS and trying to do that and then uh, sent videotapes around to the schools that I liked. Um, and, um, of, of those, the only one that, that, that didn't give me an offer after they got my video was UCLA. That's because they, they had, uh, Tommy Maddox, who was a year ahead of me and they just weren't recruiting a quarterback that year. Um, and, um, but I, uh, ended up taking trips to Washington, Washington state, took a trip to Stanford. Um, believe it or not, got into Stanford. Um, you know, you, we, we have some friends in common and a lot of guys that, that, uh, that, Noah's both would uh, roll their eyes, you know, now if I told them I actually got into Stanford. <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, and then my only other trip, uh, Dennis Erickson had been the coach at Washington State uh, before I graduated, and he went to Miami. And so, you know, he was aware of what was going on, you know, with me. And he offered me a, a trip and offered me a scholarship to the University of Miami. I knew that I wasn't going there. Uh, you know, I was too far away, you know my folks couldn't afford to fly down for games and, and all of that. So I wouldn't, but I was certainly wasn't going to turn down the trip. I mean, geez, man, you grew up in small town, Walla Walla in the middle of January. They want to give you a free trip to Miami. You're not turning that down. So I took a trip down to Miami, which was, um, which was, you know, it was fantastic. And obviously ended up not going there, but, uh, fell in love with Washington state, fell in love with the coach up there, Mike Price. And, and uh, I went up there and ended up, uh, starting halfway through my freshman year. And two years later, made the jump. So, uh, it worked out pretty good. Yeah. I was going to ask you, but I was interested about the Miami thing. Cause that's back in right around 1990. I mean, that was Miami's heyday. So I, yeah, I was oh, wondering dude, if, right? if you considered them. Yeah, it was. Yeah. We actually, we actually went to, uh, went to dinner at one of the, um, one of the, one of the, one of the alumnus's house and, uh, and, uh, I, Michael Irvin was there. So I met Michael Irvin way back in the day. Um, and you know, I knew that he was, I knew that he was a great player then. Uh, but if you, if you talk to the Michael Irvin that I met back in 1980, or I guess it would have been 1990, January, 1990, man, he was just quiet. He was just a really quiet guy, you know, just almost like shy, you know? And, uh, uh, so, you know, I got to talk to him for a little bit and then all of a sudden, man, you see him become the playmaker when he gets to the league and uh, his persona took on a little bit different, uh, different deal. But uh, yeah, no, they were in their heyday. Uh, the year that I got drafted, Gino Toretta was their quarterback uh, and he won the Heisman that year. And I, I don't know, I think he was like the seventh or eighth, get, eighth guy drafted off of his own team after winning the Heisman. So man, they had some talent around that dude. So you start, you know, and we just had John Olerud on the podcast. He was a Washington State guy. He's got to, he's yeah, got to go be the greatest. He's, he's got to be the greatest uh, baseball player ever to go there. 
But he he spoke. Well, there. yeah, come on. You know, I mean, he's he's yeah. He's, he's yeah, he and then, uh, my 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 era, probably the uh, probably the biggest name uh, from the time that I was there was Aaron Seeley, who went on and pitched for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, just... yeah, Olerud. Yeah, he's. Uh, Shoot, he's one of the greatest athletes in the state of the the history of the state of Washington, let alone just our school, man. So obviously a special dude. So you start as a freshman. How'd you like Washington State? How were your years there? Oh, dude, we had a ball. We had a ball, man. You know, it's just true college town, man. It's you know, out in the middle of nowhere. You had to you had to find your own trouble to get into, which, you know, we we did a little bit. We didn't get in too much trouble, but we had a lot of fun. Uh but it's the kind of town that when you have a a Saturday football uh, game. Um, if you're in town and, you know, you want to get a sandwich, you know, while the game's going on on Saturday, you can't even get a sandwich, man. Everything shuts down. It's all about the game on Saturday and then, uh, and then the party after that. Uh, so, you know, it was a, it was a lot of fun. And my last year we ended up having a little more success, finally made it to a bowl game. And, and then, uh, um, we uh, went and sat down with sat down with my folks and, and uh, ended up sitting down with Mike Price, who was a coach at the time, and, and uh, you know made the decision I was going to jump early, and, and uh, so I uh, decided to uh, to come out early and jump into the draft, um, and uh, so that's my only regret, honestly, uh, Boone, with you know that deal. It's just college is so much fun, man. I mean, college is so much fun. And it's so innocent, you know, you're in college, man. All you got to worry about is going to class and going to practice, and picking up your per diem check. And, um, you know, then you, uh, you make the jump and all of a sudden it becomes business. So I, so I gave up one year of just that college experience. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and change the decision, but I had a ball in Pullman, man. It was a great spot. Yeah. And as you touched on earlier, you know, then obviously the draft, which we covered, you you, you get drafted and the downside to the draft. I mean, I don't see much downside to be number one, but, but you mentioned the downside earlier and that's, you're going to a pretty bad team. And at that time, they're one of the worst teams in the league. And now all of a sudden we got Drew Bledsoe and you're the savior. You're 21 years old. You mentioned that you're in the huddle with guys that have been around, probably questioning you. Let's see how guy. let's see how good this guy is. That's a lot for a 21 year old. Uh, How'd that feel? Was it, was it, like you said, it the was, innocence is it gone. It's not just it college. Crazy, now it's man. big business. Yeah. Now it's a business and, you know, and you, um, you know, you start to get a sense for the fact that, that you, you're actually, you know, you're actually affecting, you know, people's uh, livelihoods. You're affecting their families. You know, I go out and throw some picks and we lose a few games, you know, this dude, you know, one of my teammates might get fired, you know? Um, and, uh, so it's, it's, it's heavy. Um, you feel the responsibility of it. Um, but it's also, it's also what makes it really cool. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I'm on a big stage, a lot of people watching, you know, you're kind of on the high wire and, uh, seeing if you can perform. And, um, so I relished it even, you know, even when, even when I even when I fell down, I still you know relish the, ex- the the experience and the challenge of knowing that you know I could succeed or fail on this really big stage, and uh, I welcomed the challenge. You know, I, I really I really did, um, and uh, enjoyed it, and and uh, uh, came out of it with a whole bunch of really really good friends. You know, my uh, one of my one of my buddies that I keep in touch with all the time and now, Bruce Armstrong, was my left tackle. 
Yeah, he was from uh, Miami, went to school at Louisville, should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's truly an amazing football player that took care of me and protected my, my, uh, my backside. But, you know, Bruce and I couldn't have grown up more differently. You know, I grew up, like I said earlier, in a little town where we didn't even lock the house. Bruce grew up with bullets flying uh, around, you know, a lot of friends that died. Um, and, uh, you know, we just grew up in these amazingly different worlds um, and uh, became really good friends. Um, and we still keep in touch all the time, even though we're living in different corners of the country. So Robert Kraft is quoted as saying, Drew Bledsoe is a huge reason the Patriots are what they are today, the dynasty that they are. You started all that. That's pretty cool. And, and you start with them, and your first, your first year you're making the Pro Bowls, 1994, and you get your team to the playoffs, and that's kind of the beginning. But in 96, you take the, the Patriots to Super Bowl 31. They haven't been there since 86. Uh, how was that for you? You know, it was really cool, man, because, you know, we were, um, we were a really young team back in those days. Um, you know, most of the guys were at least within a couple of years of my age, um, those first five, six years. And we were also, it's, it's, it's funny to look back now because, you know, we were, we had the worst facilities in the league by a mile. I mean, we had meeting rooms that were out in portables. We would get, so how about this, man? I'm playing the NFL and when we were practicing, um, you know, when the weather was decent, we would get dressed in our uniforms. We would get our own cars with our pads and cleats and all that stuff. We would drive five miles to the Rentham State School, which was an abandoned mental hospital, and that's where we would practice. We'd practice at the Rentham State School, and then we'd get all dirty and get back in our cars and drive back. And if I, you know, I came in after the game, and if I took, uh, if I. Um, you know, did a, did my press conference before I took a shower. By the time I got there, I'd take a cold shower. It would rain in the training room. I mean, dude, it was, it was, but, and I say that all because, you know, we were young and we had a chip on our shoulder because we were, you know, we didn't have the good stuff, man. We'd go to these other stadiums like, man, this is cool. Steal some of those towels. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> and uh, um, so it was really fun for us being the young team, kind of the, you know, bad news bears uh, that, um, you know, didn't have all the good stuff. And we would, uh, and then we rose to the point where we were, you know, at the very least relevant uh, in the league. And then, uh, and it's kind of cool, man. You go back and talk to, uh, I, you know, spent some time talking to some of the guys that were on those teams, you know, and the Patriots obviously went on for, you know, for 20 years to be the, maybe the most dominant franchise, you know, certainly in modern um, American sports history. And, and, um, you know, we all take, we all take a good deal of pride in that we set the foundation for that, uh, and helped them to get there. And, uh, uh, and then obviously they picked up from there. My, my old, my old backup quarterback, that Brady kid, um, That's didn't your understand caddy. What backup meant. uh, he, uh, he went on to be okay. Um, and, uh, he took, uh, all the lessons that I taught him and, uh, and, <laughs> and he, he ended up playing all right. Um, but, uh, no, man, it was cool times, man. It was really cool times being there. Anytime you can change culture, you really feel like you've done something. All right. So we'll go to baseball. I've been to world series and it's a pretty cool stage, but it's seven games. 
the Super Bowl is a lot different. It's that buildup. It's that two weeks, especially for the quarterback. It all comes down to, to one game, world watching. In your first Super Bowl, it's you against Green Bay, Favre. What's that like? Is that, is that more than I, – I, I would have to say just as an athlete, that's got to be pretty cool. But, but it's just a, – it's a different experience for an NFL player, especially a quarterback, than it is for baseball. You know, nine out of ten times, the quarterback's going to be the MVP or he's not. You might sneak a tailback in there, a wide receiver time to time. Baseball, anything could happen. could be a pitcher, closer, shortstop, first baseman. So the quarterback becomes – you know, that, that much more elevated, that much more of uh, an important part. Uh, what's that lead up? And, and that, when that day comes, it's got to be like nothing else. Well, it's crazy, right? Because, you know, you, you, um, it, it's, you know in, in, at least in the U.S., you know, it's the biggest sporting event of the year. It's almost like an American holiday, right? You know, every year for the, for the Super Bowl. Matter of fact, um, uh, our buddy uh, – uh, Richie Sexton, you know, for the last three years, um, he's hosted the Super Bowl, and he actually went and built a. Um, he actually went and built like a sports book cage in, at his house. So I go, so I'm the bookie. I get my green visor out. I go sit behind the cage and, and take all the action, you know, for the Super Bowl amongst our friends up there. I mean, it's it's really it really is like an American holiday, um, you know. And and uh, so the lead up to that game. Um, you know, it's just all the pageantry around it and all that stuff. And then you get there and, when, and you get to the game and it's different than any game you've ever played um, just in terms of all the stuff that's going around. You know, I mean, they're building a concert stage around the stadium and, you know, that they're going to bring out at halftime. And, you know, you got all of this craziness going on. And then the uh, from a player's standpoint, the hardest part of that whole lead up to the Super Bowl is that you're you're all keyed up um, to play the biggest game of your life, you go out for pregame warmups, and then when you go back after pregame warmups and before introductions, instead of that being like I don't know twelve minutes or whatever it normally is, it's like forty five minutes. So you're so fired up, you go out and you get warm and you're ready to go, and and and, and then you have to go sit in the locker room for forty five minutes and. And uh, while they're, you know, have the, you know, the national anthem and concert and all of that stuff leading up. And so that, that's what's, that's what's the, maybe the hardest part of the whole lead up is that you're so ready to go and then they make you sit still for a while. Um, you know, and, and then for me in that game, the, the MVP of the game um, um, that we played, I think it was Desmond Howard. He returned a couple of kicks on us, which sucked. Um, and uh, the thing that people don't remember about that Packer team was that they had the best defense in the league? You know, it was all about uh, it was all about Favre and Desmond Howard, but you got Reggie White and Sean Jones coming off the edge. You got you know, man, they were good at every every level on defense, which was not very fun for me. Uh, I think Reggie actually sacked me on back to back plays uh, in that game, and not because I was holding on the ball for a long time. I think he met me at my fifth step uh, when it hit the ground, and Reggie was. You know, God rest his soul. You know, Reggie, she <laughs> was, he was, he was so frustrating to play against because he was, you know, arguably certainly one of the very best pass rushers of all time, if not the best. But Boone, he would come in like during that game. He came in and just knocked me on my ass, and then um, reaches down and helps me and says, "God bless you, Drew." I'm like Reggie, you can't knock me on my ass and then say, "God bless you." You know, that's that's, that's not how this works. You know, you gotta. 
you know, you got to be angry at me because I'm certainly angry at you. Um, but the, you know, the hard part with the Super Bowl, and I'm sure this is, you know, the the same for, you know, um, get to the World Series. You know that if, if you if you get there and you don't win, it's almost worse emotionally than never having gotten there, because you're just so close to the top of that mountain, um, and you can touch it, and then you uh, and then you don't win. I've actually never watched that game. Um, I've never seen the Super Bowl that I played in. Um, and I, I don't really have any desire to ever watch it. It's just too painful. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a crazy experience. So, you know, and I, and I, I do think it, it's, it's, it is somewhat different than, than world series, uh, except for maybe a game seven, like a world series game seven, um, where, you know, there's no more games, no matter what. And you know, that something's going to go down. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's maybe similar to that. Um, but, you know, the uh, – and then, you know, as a quarterback, you know, when you look at that, if you want to talk about any kind of, you know, legacy stuff, you know, it really comes down to whether, whether you won that game or not, then that, that one game. And, and, the, uh, and the crazy piece of that with, you know, be like being, you know, quarterbacks and pitchers are the only ones that have a personal one-loss record. Um, you know, everybody else is part of the team, right? Um, and uh, the crazy thing about that, there are times, man, they're – there are quarterbacks that have played great in that game and lost, and there are quarterbacks that have played super average and still won. Uh, but that's the name of the game. That's the way it works. Yeah, you're right, though. I mean, I, I got to go to a World Series, and it was in 99 with the Braves. And, I mean, we, you know, we got Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. We're kicking. We're, we're just yeah. on point all year. We won 104 games. Yankee team at that time, pretty good. But, we, you know, we're going in thinking – we got this. We got we got our ass kicked. Right. We got swept, and we're going home like what just happened. And to this day, right. I've never I've never rewatched it. You know, it's nice to have on your resume. Yeah, I went to a World Series, got to experience that. But then it always follows with you know the the average fan or the guy that really hey did you ever get to go to World Series? Yeah, how'd you do? <laughs> well, we got swept. Not only you know we didn't go we didn't go one and three, <laughs> we went four and out, right. and it was like you wow. know. Yeah. It was amazing, but but I get what you're saying. You win it, you probably you probably watch that game five times. You lose it, it's like all right, next. No, all right. if you win that, if you win if if you win that thing, it's on repeat on every team. Yeah, in your believe house, it, you know? believe it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so in '97, you're a po- you're a Pro Bowler again, and that gets me to 2001. You get hit in the second game of the season, and I think I read this right. A sheared blood vessel. I don't even. I don't even know what that is. I had, uh, you know, a similar story to yours, and I, I, I want to hear all about it. But we had Eric Davis, you know, the Cincinnati Red center fielder, on. He ruptured his kidney in the nineteen ninety World Series, and he told the whole story, and it was amazing. I didn't know uh, how much it entailed, and and really how Eric's uh, life took a turn after that injury. Uh, tell me about that game two and getting hit, and, and what was the follow? Well, so the the uh, the crazy part about that whole season was just you know every everything that led up to it, right? Because um, you know the, the we had our first game um, we lost, and then the uh, the second before the second game that was that was when nine eleven happened. Right. And so, you know, we're getting ready for, to play the Jets and, and uh, um, 
on that uh, on that Tuesday on September 11th, or, um, you know, the whole world stops when we got attacked. Um, and then so as you know, as our player rep, you know, I'm on the phone with all these reps around the league talking with the commissioner and trying to figure out if we're even going to play, right? So there was all kinds of this stuff going up to the game. And then we uh, we get into the game. We're you know we're not doing great, but um, the uh, um, I scrambled out to the right, and it was third down. It was late in the game, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not just going to run out of bounds. You know, I got to get the first down. And so I turned back in, and Mo Lewis hit me in the chest. And it, you know, it was a it was a bad hit, but it didn't look super dangerous. But uh, actually, um, you know, I I got up and and actually uh, actually went back into the game. Um, uh, the next series, you know, and uh, the only reason they took me out was because I also had a pretty gnarly concussion and uh, couldn't remember the plays. Uh, I remember asking that I was under center and had a little check with me. We were either going right or left. I turned around and asked Mark Edwards, who was our fullback, I was like, hey, Mark, uh, how do I go left? He goes, say odd. I was like, okay, cool, odd, odd, and snapped the ball. And he and uh, Damon Hewitt, who was our, was our other back quarterback, ratted me out on the sidelines and said, you know, he, he's not right. And uh, one of the things that people don't know about that uh, about that whole situation is that coming up, leading into that game, um, there I think in the first game, Damon Hewitt had been the number two quarterback, and I, there was they were kind of going back and forth as to whether it should be Damon or whether it should be Tommy um, as the two guy, right? Um, and so you know after that game, you know we. Um, we lose the game coming off and, and, uh, you know, Ronnie O'Neill, our, our, uh, trainer grabs me and he goes, Hey bub, uh, why don't you come with me? You don't look very good. And I go, all right, I'm just going to go in for team prayer and then I'll, I'll come. And he goes, nah, I think you need to come with me right now. You don't look very good. And so we went in and, um, by the time we got to the training room, I was, I was hurting pretty bad. And then, you know, the big thing that, that set him off that let, let him know that I was, in some sort of some sort of trouble was that uh, normally when you have a concussion your heart rate slows down pretty quick and my heart rate was escalating um and uh yeah so they threw him in the ambulance drove uh, uh you know, had, to, had to get out of uh you know post-game traffic which was which was pretty gnarly my brother actually was at the game jumped in the ambulance with me uh and we're on our way to mass general up in boston and uh my brother tells the story and i don't even remember this but you know, I was sitting there and I couldn't take uh, morphine because I'm allergic and I couldn't take Advil because it's an anticoagulant and they didn't want me to have that in my body. And uh, so they couldn't give me anything for pain. So I was just moaning and groaning and hurting. And we get just to the outskirts of Boston and my brother's looking at me. And I just went lights out, just shut down, gone. Didn't have enough blood left in my body to keep functioning. Uh, so they hauled ass to the hospital. And when I woke up, they had a tube stuffed in my chest that was uh draining the blood out of my chest cleaning it up and putting it back in me and uh stayed like that for six days had a tube pumping blood out of my chest and cleaning it up and putting it back in me for six days before they uh felt like it was a resolved situation and then they were and then then they sent me back and the next thing you know tommy starts playing pretty good and so when i got healthy all of a sudden my job wasn't there anymore boom and that sucked you know after eight years of being the guy there um, you know, was happy for Tom. He's still a great friend and I couldn't be happier for the guy. Couldn't be happier for our team. But for me on a personal level, man, it was, it was bloody to, to, uh, go through all of that. And then you come back and, and the, the job you left isn't yours anymore. That was hard. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be tough. And, and, you know, I've, we've all got to the end of our tenure, whether it be, you know, just to stop and, and 
in the middle of your career, which obviously after that point you went on to to more success, but your caddy takes over, happens to be Tom Brady. It's funny to talk about it and call him your caddy now, but that's what he was. And uh, yeah, but I want to yeah, talk a little no, bit he more. Was, uh, he was just, yeah, he was just this young kid. He was in his second year. The first year he was just on practice squad, wasn't even on the active roster. But but he, even at that point, though, when he was a young kid, I, 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 he was a, I didn't know he was going to be you know a special player. Um, but he was a special person, you know, even way back then, you know, he was a guy that was very, very inquisitive. He listened, he learned, um, you know, he was over at our house probably once a week for dinner. And I think my wife just kind of thought he was cute, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he was over at the house all the time. And he was always just, he was just a sponge man asking questions. And, and he was also a guy, even, even very early on, um, you know, he treated scout team like it was the Super Bowl. You know, when he was running scout team, um, you know, with our guys, he was serious about it and he was trying to get them going. And so, you know, he was a, he was a great leader, you know, even early on. Uh, but there's certainly no way anybody would have guessed that uh, uh, at that time um, that he was going to go on to be one of the best ever. So you're, you're, you're the main reason, the revamping of the Patriots. You get this, this nasty injury, you're out, you're rehabbing. And in the AFC Championship game, Brady goes down. You come in, win the game to get you to the Super Bowl. That's, uh, I mean, okay, you're kind of the man in New England. You go down, young kid takes over at quarterback. Now all of a sudden it's AFC Championship. You come into the game. What's What was that like for you after not playing since the injury? <laughs> it was, it was uh, well, first of all, um, I appreciated Tommy, you know, doing me a solid and, and, you know, let me get back on the field for a second. Um, I don't think he was even really hurt. I think he was just kind of being a nice guy. Um, <laughs> which is, but he, uh, Tommy sprained his ankle. Let's be back on the, uh, let's be back on the field. And, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of surreal, honestly, because, you know, it, um, you know, I, I felt like going into that game for whatever reason, this was never, you know, wishing anybody, you know, any kind of ill will at all. I, I just kind of felt like I was going to play in that game, you know, going into the game. Um, and, uh, you know, sure enough, Tommy, Tommy goes down, you know, head out there and finally get to start slinging it around a little bit. And the crazy thing was like three or four plays in, I got hit on the sidelines in a way that was actually fairly similar to the one that, that I got hurt on. Um, and for me, it felt, it really felt kind of great. You know, it felt like, okay, I'm playing football again. I'm not going to die. You know, let's go. Um, but, you know, but then the, uh, the, the hard part then though was, uh, well, I'll tell you that one of the cool pieces of that before I get to the hard part. So my, my dad, um, for whatever reason had decided to just fly out to that game in Pittsburgh. Um, and, uh, I didn't know he was going to be there until I was on the, bus the night before uh headed to the hotel and he's like hey kid i'm in town let me know if you want to you know swing by and say hi and so um had no idea he was even going to that game and the uh, and the cool thing was that he found a way to sneak himself down onto the field after the game and uh you know every game that i ever that we ever won where i got to uh got to kneel down with the ball i would always keep those footballs and so of course i kept that one when i knelt down and so when i uh uh, I was up on the stage with the trophy and the whole thing, and I had that ball, and I saw my dad who played tight end uh, in uh, the Continental Football League after he played college football. 
uh, saw my dad out there and I fired one and fired one at him and, and, uh, threw, threw my, uh, threw my old man that game ball. So he still has that sitting on his dresser in his room, which is kind of cool. Um, really? but then the hard part of that was, you know, play that game. And then the next week, you know, we're in the Super Bowl. And I don't get to play in that game. That was, <laughs> that, was that sucked. Yeah, I, uh, man, that's gotta be so weird. You're the man. You know, big in that city. I'm sure. I'm sure the crowd was. They saw you coming in. It was probably unbelievable. Then all of a sudden, you're not playing again. <laughs> and and yeah. not only that, yeah, after crazy, after man. the season, after the season, you get traded. You go to the Bills yeah. for the right. O2 season. And you're you're in the Pro Bowl again. So that's got to mm-hmm. for me. I, you know, I I'm looking at that and I'm going, that's pretty cool. I get replaced. I yeah, leave. I go to the Pro Bowl. I still got it. Was that was that kind of redemption for you? It did, yeah. It felt good, man. It felt good, and we we actually loved playing in Buffalo. You know, I don't, I don't know if you ever like went up there for a minor league game or anything, um, but you know, it was, it's just a cool sports town. We really enjoyed it. You know, it was like playing pro ball in a college town. You know, yeah. um, the weather the weather was atrocious. Um, you know, you get the, that lake effect snow rolling in. It's wet and cold and windy and all that stuff, but. It was a fun place to play, man. We really enjoyed it. And, um, really uh, wish we'd done a little better job in the draft while I was there, man. We had some draft picks that uh, that we just kind of threw away, and I really felt like we were close to getting over the top and getting going. So, But I will tell you, of the three teams that I played for, the Bills are the ones that I have the most emotional connection to when it comes to wanting them to win a Super Bowl, man. You know, so, I mean, the Patriots, you know, that's one thing, man. They've won – you know, six, you know, and they, they, they've been kind of spoiled and embarrassed and embarrassment of riches there. Uh, the bills fans, man, they are so loyal and they've never won one. They lost four in a row and they still just live and die for their team. man. so I'll be ecstatic if they ever do finally win a world championship in Buffalo. Very cool. Oh, five and Oh six play for the Cowboys and you retire. And, uh, Pretty cool moment comes in 2011 for you, I would assume. Uh, you're inducted in the Patriots Hall of Fame. How cool was that? You know, I'll tell you what it was, Boone. It was, it was. I mean, it obviously, it, it felt, it felt really good to me, um, obviously. But, but what it was, as much as anything, when we had that, that halftime of the game, when they, when they, the. Uh, um, you know, make the big announcement. It was, it was actually, it was cool closure for my family. Um, you know, cause we all know this with it, whether it's your brother, whether it's your, you know, your kid, you know, it, it's, it's way different than it is when it's you. Um, you know, and for my family, you know, I, I kind of moved on and, you know, it was cool. Got to, um, you know, got to go to, to Buffalo, got to go to Dallas for a little bit, you know, and the business going and, you know, you know, things were fine, but for my family, when the crowd gave me the ovation that they did at halftime of that game, um, it was pretty emotional for my family. Um, and I think it gave them a sense of closure, you know, cause shoot, my mom actually is got caught on, not caught. She was interviewed and, uh, she was joking sort of, uh, but she's like, yeah, when that happened, you know, if I'd seen, if I'd seen Belichick crossing the road and I was in my car, I'm not sure I would have hit the brakes. You know, something only a mother would understand, but you know, it's like, yeah. Hey, you, you mess with my kid, you mess with my kid, man, I'll kill you. Um, and so, you know, for my family to have that moment where, um, 
you know, where they could uh, actually get some closure around that whole thing in New England um, was was really really cool. And, and uh, they've always the the whole organization's always been great to me. Mr. Kraft's always been great to me. We're still we still keep in touch on a pretty regular basis. And so, yeah. But it was uh, it was a good moment. It certainly was. All right. I want to know what the craze is. Wine business. I know you're involved. Like you said, mutual friend of ours, Rick Meyer. I got a teammate. Richard really is in that world. Dave Roberts, manager for, for the Dodgers. Tell me all about your this wine business. Enlighten me. Well, you know, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's, you know, look, first of all, let's start with this. I like wine. So, you know, you start there. Uh, but for me, the, 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 the secret magic was it was you know it's my hometown you know walla walla it's a little town that i grew up in while i was off playing ball um became really well known as one of the best wine grape growing regions in the world um you know and so at one point um at one point um it was it was going to be me rick uh dan marino and damon hewitt who was uh, with me in New England, the four of us were going to go in and start a wine business. Um, but then that, you know, you get four chiefs and no Indians, that doesn't work very well. Um, and so that, you know, that we looked at some stuff and it never really took off. Um, but then, you know, I was able to go back to my hometown and uh, could fairly well establish that we at least had the ability or the uh, the potential, I guess would be the right way to say it, we had the potential to make wines that would compete with any in the world. Um, you know, found a, a great winemaker who happened to be my next door neighbor growing up um, and uh, bought a piece of ground got the kids up there. We all got our hands dirty, planted some vines. And now we're 14 years later, we're actually made a real business out of it. So it's been fun, but I, I think, I don't know the, the, the allure for athletes to get into it. You know, I think it's, I don't know. It's something that's, that's, different but similar you know where it's uh um you know first of all it's something that a, a lot of us enjoyed when we were you know playing ball traveling you know you go sit down at dinner have some wine you kind of start to learn about some of that stuff which was kind of fun um but then you get into it and it's another way to stay competitive um and it's uh it's also something that you know where you know sports is very finite you know i mean unless you're you know brady um, you know, it's got a, yeah. it's got an end to it where, you know, you get into a wine business, you feel like it's something you can do for a long, long time. Cool thing is, man, that now there are a lot of guys that are really serious about it. You know, Rick's making killer wine, uh, in Napa with mirror. Um, you know, your guys, uh, uh, at red stitch are making some good juice. Um, you know, Tom Seaver was probably the first, um, athlete that really got in and, um, took the wine quality really seriously. Um, and, uh, God rest his soul, but he made some killer wine too. So it's a fun biz, man. We're, 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 we're loving it. And at the end of the day, you get to sit down and crack a bottle of wine and, uh, share it with your family and friends. Yeah. And I, and Rick, you know, I knew that his was mirror. What's your, what's the name of yours? Ours is, ours is double back. So ours, you know, so the story on the double back name, you know, it's not a football deal, right? It's uh, it's just that I grew up in Walla Walla, went off and played ball, and then doubled back and came back home. So it's about just about returning home. So it's been fun, man. We built a good team around it, and, and um, you know, buying up more land and planting more vineyards, and 
So it's actually become a real business, believe it or not. It's, it's uh, no longer just a hobby. All right, I'm not going to let you leave. Jerry Maguire, tell me about it. I, I can still see you right now. I was, I was going through the before, – before I did the interview, I'm, I'm going, Bledsoe's a Jerry Maguire. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, the, so the, probably the coolest part of that whole deal was that Cameron Crowe, when he was writing that script – was uh, it was right around the time that I got drafted. And so he actually came and followed me around um, through that whole draft process. So when you, when you see some of the, uh, you know, some of the scenes around the draft and some of that stuff, um, I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that, that's what it looked like when I was there, right? Uh, and so that piece was cool because I've been a Cameron Crowe fan for you know, a long time, loved singles, loved all the stuff that he's done. Um, and then... Uh, we went down there for a uh, went down there for uh, just for I think we went down there for two full days to uh, to film my 1.7 seconds or whatever the hell I have in the in the in the movie, um, you know. And it was uh, I think one of the things also that was pretty interesting was that my wife and I were down there hanging out and we got to we were you know, we spent some time with Tom Cruise on the set, but it was funny because I came away from that experience and I told Mara I was like, hey, I don't think we I don't think we actually met Tom Cruise. I think we actually met Jerry Maguire. I think the whole time he was in character. Like he would just like, he, he, he just, you know, you watch the movie after the fact and like, yeah, no, that's, that's the guy we met. I don't have any idea what Tom Cruise is like, but we, we spent some time with Jerry Maguire and it was pretty funny. Well, that's cool. I, I had that we were down in, uh, when I lived in Orlando and they were open those restaurants. I forget the hall. What was it? Planet Hollywood. And uh, yeah, Planet Hollywood. Yeah. 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 So Barry Larkin at, at the time I'm playing for the Reds. So it's myself and Barry Larkin and we get a call from Sly's people and they're like, Oh, Stallone. Right. He's a huge baseball fan. He'd love to have you at the grand opening. We're kind of looking at each right. other. Like you want to do it? Yeah. Let's go down there. He walks in, you know, late, we're behind the velvet ropes. I think my brother Aaron was with us too. We're eating chicken wings. He's late for the thing. And we're kind of looking at each other like, what the hell are we doing here? And I felt like I was meeting Rocky. He came up and he kind of looked at us. He reached out his hand. He goes, so you guys play ball? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a huge <laughs> fan, guys. Huge. But I, but I felt that. I felt like I was meeting Rocky. Yeah, right? Isn't that funny, man? It's awesome, though, right? All right. Well, Drew, I really appreciate you coming on the show. A lot of interesting stuff. And what we do here on the Boone podcast at the very end is we bring in the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, for a question from the fans. Danny. Hey, guys. Hey, Drew. How are you? Living the dream, bud. Living the dream. (laughs) All right. Well, Miles in Longmeadow wants to know this. Drew, what do you miss most about playing in the NFL? Sundays. There's no question. There's no question. I mean, the rest of it was cool, man. And I had so many good friends in the locker room and all those things you hear guys that they retire um, and uh, things they miss. But, you know, for me, you know, that experience of being out there with some of the best athletes in the world, competing against some of the best athletes in the world with 80,000 people in the stands and everybody watching around, around the country and around the world. And, and uh trying to win a ball game uh in that environment uh man there's no replacing that there's no drug there's no nothing that you can ever do in your life uh that can replace the feeling of being in that arena man it was cool all right well drew bledsoe thank you so much for coming on the boone podcast we appreciate it man 
Right on. Cheers, guys. Boone, hope to see you again soon, man. All right, man. Thanks, Drew. Mailbag. All right, Boone, you know that sound. That means it is time for the Brett Boone Mailbag. You ready to rock? Ready to rock. All right, let's dig on in. All right, Brett, this one comes from Jimmy in Las Vegas. Brett, if you were granted a wish and could play any sport professionally, what would it be and why? Golf. Golf. Uh, I know that although I, I really don't, I, I really don't consider golf a sport. I consider it an activity, a skill. But if we're going to label golf as a sport, golf, it's just, it's my favorite hobby. You are a golfer and I, you are the person I go to when I talk about the links. So I'll give you that one. All right. Shall we head back in the bag? You got it. All right. All right, Brett. This one comes from Rex in San Pedro. Who is the toughest guy you've ever played with or against? Toughest guy. Oh. I don't know. Toughest guy. I Man, guys, maybe a guy that scared me the most. It, it, that's what we're talking. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume you meant toughest as just tough. Someone you wouldn't want to run into in an alley. Okay. I, I would say... Kevin Mitchell or Lenny Harris. And it's good that I'm good buddies with both of them, but <laughs> they seem like pretty tough guys. And I just mean strictly from a, yeah, I wouldn't want to run into this guy and, and him have a problem with me. All right. Okay. Well, that's going to do it here for the uh, Bread Boone mailbag. And that's also going to do it for the Bread Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone podcast. Executive producer duties are all handled by Rich Herrera. Digital content for the Boone Podcast handled by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors, friends. Make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating. Share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, my name is Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Take care.